Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. Hello, it's Wednesday the 26th of July. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. First up, we're hearing from a Maidstone dad who was forced to flee wildfires on roads while on holiday with his family. Ian Rimmer, his wife and two daughters arrived on the Greek island last Friday night, but the following afternoon they had to leave their hotel. He's been telling Nicola the whole story. I think it must have been around half two, quarter to three. Um, uh, a member of the police came into the lobby and a few minutes later the um, the manager basically just said everybody leave out the front door and turn right and keep going. So we walked out of the hotel, turned right as he said and walked down that road for about four kilometres or something like that. We saw lots of coaches going back and forth trying to ferry people uh, and eventually we managed to um, sort of hail down one of the, the coaches that was from our holiday provider And they took us to another hotel, probably a couple of kilometres down the coast. Um, We were there for probably about four or five hours before uh, they took us to another hotel in the north of the of the island. And there we we sort of were shown into a conference room where there was some uh, some beds in in the conference area. And they said, if you're a family of four, take two of the beds because they were expecting a lot of people there. So that night um, I slept on the floor. The kids slept in the beds. Uh, and we were there until last night when we when we got a flight out. How on earth were you feeling? You say you were there with your, is it your wife and two, is it two children? Yeah, I've got two daughters, age 13 and 11. So, yeah, it was really scary for them. They were both very brave, but obviously they were quite scared about what was happening. Um, but to be honest, you know, speaking to other people that we met there, I think that we were quite lucky because just uh, the other side of that hill where the fire was, um, just down the coast, there was Qatari where there was a lot of people that we know there, they're the people that ended up having to be rescued from the beaches, uh, spend nights in in um, schools and, and indoor sports centres and things like that. I think we were quite fortunate that if the wind was going the other way, that probably would have been us rather than staying in a, you know, the conference centre of a hotel, which wasn't ideal. Um, it was still, you know, we were still inside a hotel. They, they provided breakfast and things like that. So it was a lot worse for some other people. Was there any point, Ian, where you really felt in danger at all? Uh, I think right at the beginning when um, there was all the smoke uh, and it was, uh, I think one of the main difficulties they've had is because it was so windy, they found it almost impossible to, to stop the fire. And really, if it was blowing in a slightly different direction, it absolutely would have come down to the hotel where we were. And I think that, um, you know, I went back to the hotel yesterday uh, to get all our luggage because we left with just our passports and, and phones, basically. Um and there was no fire damage to our hotel. And the, the people there said the main reason that we were told to evacuate was more worries about the smoke inhalation and things like that. Um, but yeah, when we were walking down that road away from the fire, there was definitely concerns around, you know, how quickly it was going to spread, where we going to get collected. You know, it was 40 degrees at the time. So just walking down there at two o'clock or three o'clock in the afternoon was not entirely pleasant. Um, so yeah, there, there were times right at the beginning where we were concerned about it. Um, but to be honest, the last couple of days where we've been in, in the north part of the island, it it's almost like it didn't happen. You know, people are still there in hotels and, and completely unaffected by it. 
but I think you know all of the people locally in Rhodes they couldn't have done more for us at the hotel that we went to. Um, you know the taxi drivers and everyone were absolutely fantastic. They're now back home and hoping for a refund. The wildfires in southern Europe are showing no sign of slowing down, and a Kent climate expert says it should act as a wake-up call. Temperatures in some areas are reaching as high as 46 degrees Celsius this week. Dr. Carl Wright from the Canterbury Climate Action Partnership has also been chatting to Nicola. Extremely worrying, not just for the tourists, but of course for all the poor local people and you know having their homes destroyed and their their businesses. But I can do no better than quote the the Greek Prime Minister, who this week actually said, "The climate crisis is already here. It's already here, and will manifest itself everywhere in the Mediterranean, and with greater disasters." So, uh, and of course that applies very much to the UK and to Kent. Uh, not just to Greece and the Mediterranean. And a group of scientists have come out today and said what we're seeing is the result of man-made climate change. Can you expand a little bit on that for us? Sure. I, I must say, I fully agree, obviously, with them. Um, and uh, maybe just to, by way of example, I noticed that the um, the National Fire Council, which you know, deals with these things in the UK, said that last year, 2022, England and Wales had a fourfold, a fourfold increase in recorded wildfires from something like 247 the previous year to, to nearly a thousand. So there was a direct link. If you remember last year it was very dry and we had record temperatures 40 degrees centigrade. So there is you know a direct linkage which we can see with these wildfires. And even even in places like London, for heaven's sake, you know, um London last year might remember there was something like 40 homes destroyed on the periphery of London. But even in places like Hendon, Wembley and Croydon, uh, there were outbreaks of wildfires. So it's it's really getting very serious um, and it's affecting all of us. And, and certainly Kent, where we do have a lot of dry soil and um, water shortages, is going to be very much hit by this in future with the temperatures. Yeah, I mean, we're not getting those scorching temperatures at the moment, but we did experience them um, a little over a year ago. How much of a wake-up call do you think this needs to be? It's a very big wake-up call, a very big wake-up call. I mean, if you look at Longer term, of course, which, you know, as we all say, it affects our children and grandchildren, but also affecting us now. Um, the Meta Office has worked out that by 2070, um, uh, our summers could be up to six degree warmer and 60%, 60% drier. So that would have huge consequences. But as we're seeing, it's happening now, as the Greek Prime Minister said, it's not just something for the future or for 50 years. And and frankly, I'm a little bit angry about the um, some of the recent political uh, discussions which have gone on about, uh, as, as people have called it, the green crap, you know, following the, the Yuxbrick by-election where people say, oh, we don't need the air air pollution controls, we need to cut back on green measures. I think that's totally not irresponsible. And our politicians, whether at local or national level, really need to get it. And I think it's a real wake-up call, as you say. Kent Online reports. Elsewhere today, your courts heard how a Faversham man launched a hammer attack on a van after mistaking the driver for a paedophile. Ollie Adams shouted at a man in a Ford Transit and knocked off his wing mirror while drunk in April. While in custody, he also wrote ha-ha on the wall of his cell with his own faeces. The 26-year-old from Lewis Close is due to be sentenced in September. 
It's 25 years since the Kent Air Ambulance crashed, killing three crew members on board. Pilot Graham Budden and paramedics Mark Darby and Tony Richardson died when the helicopter hit power cables and came down in Woodland near Bluebell Hill. The charity held a three-minute silence this morning and a memorial service this afternoon. A man's in hospital with serious injuries after being hit by a car in Margate. It happened on Northumberland Avenue in the Cliftonville part of town on Friday night and involved a bronze Honda Civic. A 38-year-old man's been arrested on suspicion of causing serious injury by dangerous driving. Now, the boss of NatWest has resigned after admitting being the source of an inaccurate story about Nigel Farage's finances. Dame Alison Rose discussed his account with a journalist and has since described it as a serious error of judgment. The former UKIP leader, who's from Kent, is calling for fundamental changes. The regulations around banking are wrong, they're over the top, and we're using a sledgehammer to miss the nut. We're not getting the international drugs gangs and the real money launderers, it's the innocent that are paying a huge price. And that is why I went public. An investigation's underway after a reported hit and run in Hearn Bay. The crash involved two cars in Thorndon Woods on Saturday night and left one driver covered in glass. The other motorist allegedly failed to stop. Inspectors say dozens of people are being put at serious risk of avoidable harm and abuse by a company providing staff to help those in supported living in Kent. The Care Quality Commission has rated HF Trust Limited in the county inadequate and placed the local branch in special measures. Bosses say they deeply regret that they haven't met the high standards they set for themselves. Jewelry's been stolen and a window damaged after a break-in at a jeweller's in Sevenoaks. It happened on the high street in the early hours of yesterday and two suspects were seen leaving the area on bikes. Both had scarves over their faces and one was carrying an orange bag. The Prime Minister's appearing at the inquiry looking into the government's response to the NHS infected blood scandal. Around 2,400 people died with HIV and hepatitis C as a result between the 1970s and 1991. Ashford resident Tim Ratton's dad was one of those who died. He's been telling Lauren about his campaign to get compensation for family members like him. We're hoping that basically it's going to include everyone that's affected and infected, um, but also mainly as well, obviously, to recognise that we were children when this happened. So recognise us, what we went through, because at the moment that's dismissed. And then also people have lost children and there's obviously, they're not actually at the moment being recognised. It's like if your child passed away, then at the moment, you know, they're not really looking at that as, you know, something... What's the word? Um, like substantial, it's sort of like they're worried about just the infected at the moment. And it's like the infected is like a portion. But as, as we keep arguing, when the infect, infected pass away, they'll just get swept under the carpet with everyone else. So the whole spectrum needs to be covered just to make sure everyone's included, everyone's looked after, realise everyone's family's been affected. Have you heard anything so far that satisfied you that this would never happen again? Um, not really. I, I can't trust the, the government because this was all due to money. And this is the problem is that if they were the least 
sort this issue out, get it done with, and then look at what they need to do afterwards. But they keep saying at the moment, we're waiting for the final report, but the final report is going to be no difference for the compensation. It's just going to be telling them what they should do, what they shouldn't do, how not to get it wrong in the future. But they don't seem to listen to instructions. That's why we're back, obviously, at the inquiry again, because they haven't implemented what they should have. And, and how have you felt so far during the inquiry? Have you felt frustrated? Have you felt that, you know, things, voices are being heard? Or do you feel like it's maybe not going to have the outcome you hoped? I just feel, again, that we get into that same position that we get told, oh, this has got to be done, but you have to follow government process. So to get to this process takes this amount of time. Someone has to say this to so-and-so, and it's just like, can't we just put that aside, get on with it, stop saying, you know, there's this, there's that to do. It's quite simple what needs to be done, but today we've heard again from um, Penny Morden that obviously she's been doing stuff really good to help, but then all within her power, but then... One of her jobs, she only had for sort of, um, oh, it was 80 days. It's like no one no one can do a job in 80 days. It's like no one can make a difference in 80 days. So if the government actually kept people in positions for, you know, five, six years at a time, let them carry on with this. We've had, we've had so many different MPs, so many different prime ministers. It's like if one of you would just stick to it, get the job done, it's fine, but because you keep changing, then you need to know what's happened, what's gone on, and then by the time you review it, it's like you're out the door, someone else is in, and it just keeps that whole cycle. I can see why it's taken so long. This has obviously been going on for decades. Do you hope yeah. that finally you can get some sense of justice and be able to draw a line? Um, I do, because obviously like my oldest son is going to be 18 um, next month, and my youngest is going to be 12, but... My son, who's actually going to be 12, wasn't actually, he actually, we was basically having him when my dad died. So he was like, you know, my dad died, here's our son's born, but it's like, he's going to be 12. It's like, if you push it much further, it's like, he'll be 18. And it's like, really, it's like, this is just crazy because I want to see the next few years of his life without, where are you going today, dad? I'm going to London again. And, you know, like this week, I'm going for three days and it's like, why? I should be at home with my children, but it's actually taking more of my time than it probably took of like my father's time, who was, you know, he was going to the hospital less than what I'm coming to London to try and sort the mess out that's been created which it doesn't seem right. Kent Online News. A Swanscombe man's been fined for fly-tipping after running away from enforcement officers who turned up at his house. Baby Ibram hid in a garden near his home on London Road but was caught and arrested. He was found guilty of dumping rubbish outside flats on College Road in Northleet and ordered to pay a total of nearly £4,000. In another case, a man who failed to pay a fine after dropping a cigarette butt in Gravesend has been prosecuted in court. He was approached by enforcement officers in Parrock Street but refused to pick it up as he said the bin was too far away. He's now been ordered to pay more than £700. 
It's the final day to have a say on plans to close ticket offices at railway stations in Kent. South Eastern have been asking passengers what they think because more of us are buying tickets online. Disabled people have opposed the plans, saying it'll make it harder for them to travel. There are calls for a refugee visa to be set up to try and stop people crossing the English Channel in small boats. Charities think there should be an alternative, safer route for those fleeing persecution to get to the UK. It comes as 50 asylum seekers are due to move onto a barge in Dorset next week. And for Solomon from the Refugee Council wants to see some compassion. These are the people that have come to the UK as refugees. And we should be treating them with humanity and dignity, welcoming them into our communities like we did with refugees from Ukraine, rather than warehousing them. A Rochester man's had the steering wheel stolen from his car after waking up to the sound of screeching tyres and a window smashing. The BMW was broken into in the Tideway on Sunday night and it's understood there have been other similar thefts in the area. Police say they're investigating. Two men who climbed up the Dartford Crossing Bridge as part of a Just Stop Oil protest are going to try and appeal their sentences. Morgan Troland and Marcus Decker caused major disruption with the demonstration last October. The 40- and 34-year-olds were jailed for a total of more than five and a half years, but they now want to challenge it in court. A Canterbury preschool has been rated inadequate after inspectors raised concerns about safeguarding. Squirrels was downgraded from good following a visit which found records weren't being kept up to date and questions weren't asked about how a child had been injured. Bosses have hit back at Ofsted and say they've revised procedures and hope to be re-inspected. Now donations are continuing to come in for our sister station KMFM's Tons of Tins appeal as we look to help out food banks in Kent this summer. The number of people relying on supplies is expected to increase during the school holidays. Natasha Maydell is the leader of the 12th and 17th Medway Town Scout Group. They've been collecting for KMFM and told Nicola why they're doing it. We just thought it would be a good idea for them to get involved in the community a bit more. We do quite a lot of community badges where they have to help out and things so we just thought it'd be something good for them to get involved in and we all listen to it <laughs> on the way on the school run so we just thought that'd be a good thing for them to get involved and come along and see where it all goes to we've brought three boxes of tins in with us today um to one of our explorers and a scout <laughs> and one of the assistant leaders as well Fantastic. And obviously it is a tough time for everyone. I mean, have you noticed with the, the children that you're you're dealing with that they, they have a real understanding of the, the cost of living crisis and how tough it can be for some families at the moment? Yes, I think you, you do notice it, um, especially with the, the age ranges that we've got. We've got a, a very wide age range of children. So you, you, you do notice things that they talk about school and having to go on trips and things like that. And they can't possibly go on trips and things. Um so you do you do notice from what they're saying. You can tell it has affected them, even though we might not think that it has. Um, I know as a parent, I just think my kids don't notice. But they do. They do notice. And it, it is evitable when you sit and talk to them. And it's, it's nice, isn't it, to get involved in this kind of community thing where they're really keen to get involved and start collecting tins. With it is. I think because Scouts has always been a community thing, obviously with the big C word a couple of years ago, <laughs> which we don't like to say anymore, it, it kind of, you lost a bit of that. And the, the young people that are coming through, because it is so diverse now, it's nice to get everybody linked in and back into kind of a community spirit. So it is 
is a nice thing to do, that they're doing something not for themselves. And summer holidays, obviously, can be quite a tricky time for parents finding things for, for children yes. to do. I mean, how do you guys try and bridge that gap and help out? What we're can? doing this year, which is our first year and is a, seems to be really successful, is um, the 6th to the the 7th of August onwards for that week, we're running a scout summer. So the scouts that are with us now, they can bring their siblings along for that summer. Um, we run activities every day of the week. Uh, Friday, we're doing like a fun afternoon presentation thing. We've offered a breakfast club and a lunch club um, to, to tie in with that so that they've got something to do. They already know us. Um, they're working towards badges as well, so it's not just let's come and have a run around. Um, and we've had quite a lot of take-up for that. So it's it's a good start. Kent Online reports. People living in a block of flats in Dartford have hit out at having to pay a higher service charge despite reporting problems with the property. Residents at Pilgrim's Court in Farnell Road claim a door has been broken for six weeks. There's a sinkhole in the car park and rotting pillars. Their bills have gone up from £76 a month to 146 but the Housing Association says it's due to rising costs. People living in a village near Maidstone are getting together to try and save their local pub. The Bull Inn in East Farley closed unexpectedly last autumn. More than 40 residents have met to discuss how they could get it back open. Now, this is one of our most read stories on the website today as we found out which are the most expensive streets in every town in the county. The priciest is Parkfield in Sevenoaks, where the average property will set you back a whopping four and a half million pounds, more than 15 times the national average. Half-ended quarter in Ashford, Woodchurch Road in Tenterden, Granville Road in Dover and Swanton Street in Sittingbourne all make the list. And rock legend Mick Jagger, who grew up in Kent, turns 80 today. The Rolling Stones frontman's childhood home is in Dartford and the current owner says they still get people taking photos of the house. There's even a plaque on one of the sheds in the garden commemorating his time there. That's all from us today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Threads. You can also get details on the top stories directed to your email each morning via the briefing. To sign up, just head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.